All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're looking at the question at the rapture of the church, at the catching away of the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, can we expect that our little ones will go with us? And someone says, well, of course. Well, why do you believe that? Well, just, just because it's right, because it feels right, because, well, it couldn't be otherwise. Could it? <laughs> So we can't go on sentiment. We can't go on sentiment. We want to know what the Bible says. So we laid a foundation last week. And Romans really settles the issue that innocent little children who are sinners, they're born sinners because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and they can die, right? But they don't transgress. Not knowingly, they don't have the knowledge of good and evil, which came to Adam and Eve in their disobedience. In other words, they don't have a conscience yet. They don't have a conscience toward God to know good and evil. Therefore, they don't transgress. Babies can die because of Adam's sin, but babies go to heaven by Christ's death according to Romans 5. Both are things that the little babies didn't do. And so babies are saved by Christ's merits alone in the very truest sense of all cases. I believe this also applies to those that are mentally deficient also and cannot comprehend these things. So we don't say they're saved per se, we say they're safe in Christ. They're safe in Christ, and God will not reject innocence. So with that in mind, let's understand that there's a parallel reasoning when we talk about babies going up in the rapture. And it's not equivalent, but it is a parallel reasoning. We won't have any direct verses, but we will have signposts along the way. So let's look at some of it this morning. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Jesus mentions children very frequently. I don't know if you ever noticed that. But he mentions children frequently. And the Bible says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. Now watch this next statement. For of such is the kingdom of God. For of such is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself here. I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself. Those of you that are saved here this morning may not have known it when you got saved, but in receiving Christ as your Savior, you chose not to go through the tribulation. A lot of people that reject the gospel may or may not know this, but in rejecting Christ, they're choosing to go through the tribulation. Now let's think of a parallel here. 
Let's think of a parallel. And, and as I said before, you can't go on sentiment. Because in the flood, were there babies that died? Who knows how many? But surely thousands and thousands, depending on the population of the earth at that time. And uh, why did they die? Because their parents chose not to believe the preaching of Noah and repent of their sins and get in that ark and be saved. Now, did Noah's children, did they make it? Now, they weren't little goomers, but why did they make it? Because Noah and Mrs. Noah, uh, they were doing it out, uh, out on the street, question and answer, seeing how much people knew about the Bible. And one of the questions was um, about, jo um, someone asked something about, did Noah have a, a, a wife? And uh, someone said yes, and, and it was Joan of Arc. And, um, but Noah and Mrs. Noah got in the ark and their children went with them. Howbeit, they were adult children at that point. And I believe there's a parallel here. I, I, I believe there's something we learn from that. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but when you look at the end of verse 14, for of such is the kingdom of God. For of such is the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a very powerful statement. And if you look at verse 15, he says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It, he takes these little children and uses them as an example of salvation. Now, again, I can't see God leaving a saved family's children here while taking the parents up to heaven. And in light of that statement alone, letting those little children be bait for the Antichrist while the children of the lost still have a babysitter. You see what I'm saying? I look at this. I look at this. And I see Jesus telling us. These children are safe. These children are special. These children are an example. Of the kind of faith we need. To be saved. Simple faith. Innocent faith, completely trusting faith. Look at verse 16, and he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. You may be here this morning and say, okay, well, that's great. I, I, I don't have little children. Maybe you don't even have grandchildren. Beyond that, this tells us something about the justice of God. 
Beyond all that, the practical aspects of it for each of us, it also tells us something about God's priorities and how he operates in his character. Luke chapter 18 and verse 15. And they brought unto him also, look at that next word, infants. Infants. So that really fits right into our discussion last week as we talked about those not at the age of accountability. An infant would certainly fit into there. And it says that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children, allow little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Now here's that statement again. For of such is the kingdom of God. And then Jesus makes an even stronger statement here than he did in Mark chapter 10 when he says in verse 17, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Very definitive. Very powerful. Very bold. God takes special care of children. Uh, You read in the Old Testament, his provision for the fatherless and the widow. And then let's go to Matthew chapter 18 again. Let's go back again to Matthew in chapter 18. He talks about these children having their own angels. And a phrase has been coined as a result of that. The phrase, guardian angels. And you get to Matthew 18. And starting in verse 1, the disciples are uh, nudging around here for rank and status and who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and what does Jesus do? He calls a little child in verse 2. And he sets that child in the midst of them. And, and then again, look what he says in verse 3. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about the humility of a child in verse 4. And, and, and wow, I, when I was looking at verse 6 this week, and verse 7, and verse 8, and verse 9, all that's in the context of these little children. Because when you get to 10, he's still talking about that. Look at that. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. And look what he says about offenses. Look what he says would be better off for you to do in verse 6 than to offend one of these little ones. And it's in that context he talks in verse 8 about if your foot or hand offend, cut it off. And if your eye offend, verse 9, pluck it out. I, I thought to myself, where does that leave a child abuser or a pedophile? Um... I know we don't take every civil law from the Old Testament and bring it in to our society. If we did, uh, the Bible says if a a young person curses father and mother, they're supposed to die. You can see how things would get a little complicated. But think of how many things God said people should die for 
in regard to perversion, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God doesn't even mention the sin of the pedophile. It is so far out of bounds, God doesn't even bother to mention it. He mentions bestiality, but he doesn't mention that. He mentions incest, but he doesn't mention that. You know what I think someone should do before they would molest a child? If they've developed those unholy, perverted tastes, they should kill themselves before they hurt that child. And that would take care of the... And by the way, if that would be codified into law, that would take care of the reticence rate of pedophiles. Because they would only do it until they're caught and would never do it again. Now don't freeze up on me. We're talking about God's love for children. God's love for innocence that don't understand what that person is doing to them and crippling them for life. God has a special place in his heart for these children. And, and, and I want you to look at verse 10. He says, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And I would call that a guardian angel. Now, I don't necessarily read where we adults have one. Maybe when you're 18 <laughs> or 21, I don't know what the age is. The Bible does say in Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits. I'm not saying angels don't involve themselves, but the Bible talks about children having their angels beholding the face of the Father, which is in heaven. So God takes special care for the children. That's the heart of our God. Never would I have thought that the heart of our society would become so sinful, so perverted, so corrupt, so rotten, so crusted over that we would have institutions in our society and in our culture that take taxpayers' money to teach children perversion as is happening so much in the public school system. Kids can go to school in some places and they can go to the trans closet and, and dress like the, the opposite of who they are and prance around all day and call themselves something else, put those clothes back, get in their other clothes, come home, and the parents will never be any wiser. Places where they will recommend and, and, and help the kids get to Planned Parenthood for hormone treatments. And in some cases, when the parents object, they call child welfare for abuse on them. We've come a long ways down. A long ways down. God has something to say about these things. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised 
63 million babies slaughtered later. Why not all this? If we're going to allow the murder of innocents and unborns. Do you see in this scripture, God loves the children. God loves the children. I know when you're raising kids, they can be, they can be annoying to say the least. But the Bible says they're a gift. They're a heritage. They're a blessing. And they grow up fast. Oh, my, my, they grow up fast. And I'm going to let you in on a, a secret. Grandkids grow up twice as fast, if that were possible. But they're a gift. And they're special. And, and, and I praise the Lord. I was telling the men last night, uh, Brother Mark Phipps and, and Kelly leading the charge, to take our, our junior campers to camp. I, uh, my granddaughter's going for the first time. She's all excited. And I thought, my granddaughter, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? You safety. Amen? That's a lot of responsibility. That's, and you know, God's been good to us. Our, our kids have come back safe year after year after year. Sometimes a little scratched up and bunged up, but, but we get them back. Keep praying that. And, and pray for the decisions made and pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Statistically, it's proven. It's, it's over 75% of all the people in the world that are saved were saved before the age of 18. Saved as children. If you got saved later in life, you're an anomaly. God loves children. And we live in a society that's Drifting away from these things. Bible says, because iniquity shall abound, Jesus says in Matthew 24, the love of many shall wax cold. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, just a few pages over. I don't want to get too far off onto that because I want to make sure we land where we need to land. But Matthew chapter 24 and look at verse, verse 37. Christ speaking of the second advent, his, re, his return after the great tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. And the Bible says in verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I, I always get a little bit amused by, uh, you've heard the expression, I think Brother King used it this, this past week, some preachers have found things in the Bible that God doesn't know about. Um, I always get amused with guys <clears throat> uh, dating the rapture. Now think about it. Christ is saying no man knows the day and the hour of the second advent. And yet the second advent is more well defined, especially in your Old Testament prophetically. And, and the rapture is a mystery that is brought on along with the mystery of the body of Christ, given to Paul to reveal to the body of Christ. And it's, and it's before the tribulation period. And Christ says, no man knows the day and the hour of the second advent. Certainly no man knows the day and hour of the rapture. And yet we got guys running around writing books and saying they figured it out. I, I believe this. I believe if a guy did figure it out and wrote a book, God would change the date. Could you imagine living with that guy in heaven? The guy that... Nailed it, you know. I could just see God changing the date. 
He says, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus didn't even have the information. But look what he says in verse 37. But he says, he tells us there's signs we can look for. And he says, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So as we see these things we've been talking about. Um, read an article the other day, um, downtown boys, I think it was yesterday in connection to gay pride or something and a bunch of Satanists and trans and, and you bring your children there and they would do unbaptizing in case you want to repudiate your faith. And he said, who, who would bring their kids there? I'm sure there were some idiots that did. But all this points to the end times. All this points to the last days. All this points to the tribulation period. And subsequently, the return of Jesus Christ. The rapture of the church pre-events this flood, this tribulation. It could be today. It could be today. I know what some of you are saying, because you're Baptist. Oh, I hope it's not before lunch. <laughs> now, I want to just give you a couple of things here, and then we'll, we'll land here. We'll land. In Joshua 7, we don't need to turn there, but in Joshua 7, Achan's family goes with him in his sin. That's the, the flip side of this equation, but it runs a parallel. Achan's family goes with him in his sin. Uh, and so the families of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in Numbers chapter 16. Although as we read the scriptures a little bit further beyond that and you get into the Psalms, you, you find that some of Korah's sons step back on that. Because there are psalms for the sons of Korah there. Did you ever notice that? So while Dathan and Byram's family look like they all went with him into the pit, and, and much of Korah's family, and Korah was the ringleader, there were some of his sons that stepped back. And, and rightfully so, because their father was not right, it was sin. Now let's go to the clincher. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So what is he saying here? Well, if someone is, is saved, and a saved husband has a, an unbelieving wife, and, and, and she's good with living with a believer, and, and you need to understand something. That, that creates complications in our current culture. In the culture of first century Rome, it really created complications because the Christians were being persecuted by the government. And there were a lot of lost spouses that didn't want anything to do with that. So it wasn't unusual for them to leave the relationship before the Christian had anything to think about or decide. But, but he says here, if, if she decides to stay and is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. 
And, and the woman, verse 13, which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. And uh, if you look at verse 16, part of the reason for that is, who knows, Paul's saying here, uh, a saved wife might end up leading her lost husband to Christ or vice versa. For what knowest thou, he says in verse 16, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Now look at verse 14. And verse 14 is very critical to our discussion. He says in verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is, what's that next word? Sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now watch this now. Else were your children unclean, but now are they what? Holy. Think of it. One saved spouse. Now, he didn't say saves the rest of them because the unbelieving spouse is still an unbelieving spouse. But the one saved spouse, one, and in many cases we're talking, when we talk about the rapture, we're talking about husband and wife both being saved. But one saved spouse sanctifies the whole family in the eyes of God. Now, let's think of that word sanctify. What does the word sanctify mean? It means to, to set apart. To set apart. To set apart as special. To set apart as holy. To set apart for God, to God, for God. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to what? Peace. One saved parent sanctifies the family. So here's what it looks like. We consider the flood. We consider what God says about the innocents. We consider what God says about children and the kingdom. And we look at this section of scripture, and although it's not talking specifically about the rapture, I get that. And again, we don't have a verse for it. Just like Brother uh, King was talking about Wednesday night, some things fall into grayer areas. You have a principle here. You have a principle. And I believe just as was the case with the ark, lost people today who have rejected Christ, who have children under the age of accountability, if the rapture were to take place this afternoon, their children would stay right with them. I could be wrong about that. I cannot prove that. I can only look back at the ark. I can only look back at the fact that those people who rejected uh, Noah's message, they died, their children died with them. But let's ask this question. Did their children before the age of accountability, before they knew good and evil, before they could make that choice, before they transgressed, did those children who died in the flood, did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? They went to heaven. Praise the Lord for that much, amen? And I believe it's the same with lost parents now who reject Christ and they're going to 
they're going to miss out on the rapture and they have these little children that are before the age of accountability if they if they die in the tribulation because things are going to get terrible at least those little children will go to heaven praise the lord for that god in his mercy they are safe in christ as we talked about but i believe they'll stay with their parents the flip side of that because of everything we've looked at and then this particular principle here in verses 14 uh, I believe that safe parents with their children who've not reached the age of accountability and trusted Christ yet, I believe that they are sanctified in this respect, set apart in this respect, and I believe they're going up with their parents. Now, do you know what? It was... It was the loved ones of believers that prompted Paul to write what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Keep your hand here, and let's flip over there for a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as I said to you earlier, I have a hard time believing that, that God would ask Christians to be excited about a blessed hope that would cause them to leave and have their little children become orphaned to the Antichrist when you wouldn't go out on a Friday night without a good babysitter. I have a hard time believing that because those children are sanctified, set apart as a result of just even one saved parent, much less two. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, some of the believers in Thessalonica were sorrowing because they believed that their, their saved loved ones, who some of them died in persecution, by the way, what's going to happen? And they sorrowed, but Paul didn't want them to sorrow as those that have no hope. He says for in verse 14, for if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are, look at that next word, alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord should not prevent them which are asleep. Christian, your child before the age of accountability is still alive, as Paul talked about in Romans 7. They, the, 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 the commandment hasn't come, sin hasn't revived, and they haven't died in that respect. They're going up with you. They're going up with you. Now, if there's somebody sitting here, and you've reached that age of accountability, and you haven't trusted Christ, you're not getting in on your parents' coattails. You could have a long time ago, but you can't now. You must decide to trust Christ the Savior. You must be accountable for yourself. For you are treated as an, as an adult. But he says here that we which are alive, verse 15, and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, those that died in the Lord. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And folks, knowing that the little goomers go with us keeps it a blessed hope, not a holy curse, okay? I told you before, you know, sometimes you think, well, why, you know, why all the theology? Why all this study? Why get in the gray areas? I, I, I believe I mentioned it last week. Uh, folks, there are hardcore Calvinists. I say hardcore, not all of them believe this, but there are many hardcore Calvinists that take their theology so serious, they will look you in the eye and tell you that babies that die go to hell. Okay? I'm sorry, that's not the God of the Bible. Any more than the God of the Bible was sitting there in eternity past, wringing his hands and drooling over the fact that he would predestinate most of the world to go to hell. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That same God is not schizophrenic. The God of John 3.16 is not schizophrenic. He loved the world. Gave his only begotten son. What? <laughs> but prior to that, he was going, oh, man, I'm going to damn 95% of the world. <laughs> Come on. Martin Luther in the 1500s sent a delegation to the Council of Dort in, in Holland in the early 1500s, or excuse me, the middle 1500s, about 1545, I believe it was. And if you don't know this, Dutch reform Calvinism is some of the hardest core Calvinism there. In fact, it is the hardest core Calvinism. And part of it comes from the Council of Dort. And Council of Dort was a long, lengthy document statement. And in it, it had a lot about the subject of preterition, meaning, you know, God's desire to damn most people and, and, and electing them to damnation. And it just goes on and on and on about how he does it, why he does it. And you get this picture of God just sitting there, wringing his hands and drooling over it. I mean, it's, it's awful. I think it's a, it's a misrepresentation of God. And um, Luther, who himself believed in double election, because all of those guys did. All those reformers came out of Catholicism. They studied Augustine. Augustine in the fourth century taught double election. Calvin just took it and went further with it. But Calvin and Knox and Luther and Zwingli and all those guys... They were Calvinists before there was a Calvin, Calvinism. And they believed in that double election. So Luther believed in double election. And when, he, when, the, when the delegation came back and he read it, he said this to them. He said, if I were the demon in hell in charge of making men to hate God, he said I could not have come up with a better document. That's what he thought of it. Folks, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God of John 3, 16. Don't read the Bible through the lens of any man-made doctrine, no matter what it's called. Read the Bible for what it is. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
that we which are alive and remain, verse 17, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And look, look, again, the blessed hope. I'm sorry. I mean, my kids are all grown up, and most of my grandkids are all grown up. We probably got one that hasn't reached the age of accountability. Um, I have to think of her name because I always call her something else. Um, Katie's, Katie's a little adopted girl. She's Bella, but I call her Screechy because she can break glass. But I mean, if I was a parent with little goomers and I thought God was going to rapture me up and leave my little goomers behind, I'm not sure I would call that the blessed hope. But look what he says in verse 18. Wherefore what? What's that next word? Comfort. One another with these words. Hey, mom, your little groomers are going up with you. And get them saved at the earliest possible age. But until they reach the age of accountability, they're going up with you. Because according to Scripture, even just one saved spouse sanctifies the family. And I believe that principle carries over to the rapture of our children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, you took care of some things that, uh, when you took care of them, we didn't even know to worry about them, Lord. And then later on, we started taking inventory and we started thinking about it. And we read your word and you took care of it. You're always taking care of stuff for us, Lord. You're always thinking ahead. Uh, Lord, you, you had it in your heart and mind that Christ would be slain before the foundation of the world. Even before you made man. You knew. You knew there'd have to be redemption. And Lord, you knew about all this. And even before we even thought about it, you provided the solution. So, Lord, help us to leave this place this morning knowing you've got it all taken care of and that we might do our job. We might get out there and tell others about Christ. We might tell others that there's uh, the craziness we see around us in this world, in our country, and all over the place. It's just a tuning up of the orchestra for what's coming. The great tribulation period. Things that will be happening that are described for us in detail in the book of Revelation. And, and Lord, if they don't want to be any part of this, if they got any sense about them, Father, help us to be a witness for you. Help us tell others about Jesus. Lord, we know this morning you got our back. You got our back. Help us, Lord, now to be faithful witnesses, ambassadors for you. As we go forth from this place today. Lord, we pray for that one, perhaps in the building this morning without Christ. Help them to respond to your offer to come and receive Christ as their Savior. Maybe there's somebody looking in and they need to just bow their head and heart and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you and your holy law. 
and I deserve to go to hell, but I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. Your son paid the price with his blood, was buried and rose again from the dead, lives even now to make intercession for me, and I, I, I receive him as my personal Savior. Your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, may, may that one or two or five or ten or a hundred listening to our voice here this morning respond to your offer of grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But back to us that know you, Lord, help us to leave this place excited about your provision, excited about your word, and excited about living in the end times. It's, it's awful to see the sin and, and the anarchy and the lawlessness, but it's also exciting to know that it means you're coming back, and you're coming back soon, Lord. Help us to be busy about your work, faithful stewards, ambassadors for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 690. Jesus loves me, number 690. Jason Starner, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort, the God of all grace. Father, uh, the details that sometimes we think may or have been overlooked, Father, you have, you have put all those details in place. 
You're a gracious God, a loving God, and just we need to go out and tell others about how gracious and loving you are. Guide and direct us as we leave here today. Help us to give hope to the world out there that's lost and, and struggling, and uh, show them your grace and mercy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.